you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and canicurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. This is episode number 196. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour and Conference, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Join us and over 24,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participation uh, participant. Sorry. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. Today we're talking about New Jersey just says no to home grow. S E X and how young people are having better orgasms with cannabis. Thailand cannabis legalization update a new 0% THC cultivar. 2022 may be the year of the enthogen. Napa, California, finally allowing adult use and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Her superpowers are overcoming obstacles and challenges with unstoppable energy. She's also an amazing daughter, friend, and activist. What is your headline today, Nicole? Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Um, I did want to start my morning by saying a big happy birthday to my friend Ashley Goldstein and literal partner in crime uh, and Sally that I sat in jail uh, in Denver County with. Um, Thank you so much for being my friend and through this whole journey with me, Ashley. So happy birthday. Um, My headline this morning is actually coming out of Texas, and it's proof that there's really only one cool place to exist in the whole place. And that's Austin. Austin City Hall notebook, because the council is going to vote on marijuana and search warrant ordinance that's allowing a hybrid meeting in January of 20 or January 18th of this year. So this is super interesting. I had no concept of the no-knock warrant issues that existed in Texas. So this is something that I'm very interested to see how this develops. Because the Austin City Council will decide whether or not to enact the Austin Freedom Act of 2021, which is a two-part measure that would end the no-knock police warrants and essentially decriminalize marijuana in the city during a special meeting that was called January 18th. 
The Freedom Act was developed by a voter engagement group called the Ground Game Texas, whose successful petition for the proposal garnered tens of thousands of signatures in support last year. With Ground Game's petition now certified, council members in Janu- on January 18th will choose to either enact the ordinance themselves or call for a special election in May to put the question to the city voters. Council most recently decided the fate of citizen-backed petition last year after Proposition A, which would have set required police staffing level in the city, also earned enough signatures for the council consideration. Officials choose to call an election from that item given the near-unanimous opposition of the concept that also edited the proposition's ballot language, a change that prompted a legal dispute. While citizens initiated the petition are regular fixtures in Austin elections, council may decide to pass the Freedom Act from the dais instead of giving the body's previous support for the elements on this proposal. Council already voted unanimously to end misdemeanor marijuana enforcement by the Austin Police Department in 2020, a change that initially saw some pushback from the police leadership but is now department practice. The approval for the Freedom Act either uh, either by council vote or votes would um, cement that policy as well as a total ban on no-knock search warrants in this code, which would be huge. Um, In addition to deciding the fate of the marijuana and search warrant item, the council may also push the date of the meeting requirements for city board and commission meetings set set to be loosened. Government and public meetings and rules in Texas were relaxed in 2020 to allow their remote participation during COVID-19 pandemic, prompting prompting Austin's meetings to be held over the phone and video conference, which this has actually allowed for a lot more opportunity of people actually being able to be, participate in engagement in these city meetings. I personally have felt that here in California, and I hope that this is something that Austin pushes forward. I hope this is something that Texas pushes forward eventually because, man, no-knock search warrants seem to be a bit invasive in my mind. But if we could actually decriminalize cannabis in one more place, and that looks like it's going to have to start as a city in Texas, but you know, just another reason why keep Austin weird. And I'm Nicole West, reporting for the State of Cannabis News. No-knock search warrants are ridiculous. I was reading this story about this elderly couple, and I forget where they lived, but they they had uh, over a dozen times uh, they, the cops just busted into their house. They had a couple of dogs shot. Uh, they were traumatized, and they couldn't figure out why this kept happening. They never were found guilty. They weren't doing anything wrong. And then they found out that the police department, whoever set up the software, put their address in as the default address. And cops that forgot to fill out the address, they would go to their house. It's Oh, my God. That's how Breonna Taylor got killed. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Breonna Taylor, that was a no-knock. Can I speak to um, uh, – all I know is about no-knock warrants is that, in my experience in law enforcement, is that there's like this internal matrix that each department has to fill out to be able to – um, qualify air quotes, uh, to be able to do a no knock warrant. But the problem is, uh, I mean, one, I don't, I'm, I'm love the article, Nicole, and totally agree with you. Um, but nobody's checking law enforcement. It, it's not an independent matrix. Nobody's checking it. Uh, in my experience, you know, the department Oakland or San Francisco would fill out a matrix say if it qualifies or if they get granted a no knock warrant for whatever reason, but then it doesn't go to like a third party independent, um, evaluator, which I, which is ridiculous. 
As somebody who has read their name on a search warrant request, it is the most interesting thing in the entire world to see the way that the police will position the situation that they're looking at in order to be approved on said warrant. Um, I, I was astonished at the things that the police wrote in order to attempt to get their warrant on the, the initial raid at Sweetleaf. It was insane. Was there a CI involved? There were three confidential informants, two of which they employed to work for us for almost a year. Yeah, of course. Chris, Chris, wouldn't the only uh, only third party uh, be internal affairs in, in any regards to anything like this? I mean, honestly, I think it could, go, you know, it could go. Yeah, that's but even that that's not super independent. Right. I mean, like IA is still, you know, they're still cops. Um, and so I don't know how independent they really are. I think it varies depending on who's who's up there. But they're not. Um, I, yeah, exactly. And They're so I think not. it could, you know, it could, it could go to the, could go back to the, to a judge, you know, but I think some of the information that's listed in the matrix, like these people have their dog shot. Well, I can tell you right now that that's dog presence of dogs is on that matrix list. Right. And so it's like, I don't know. I just don't see a, a huge, I just don't see a need for it. Uh, and, and especially the current under the current status of, you know, this matrix and then that's it. That's the answer. There should be a, an independent review of that. I think. Because it is, you know, a warrant's invasive enough, and then you got a known-off warrant. I mean, yeah. So, so you, so you think that that these uh, these uh, municipalities or or law enforcement branches should be governed by like a community service uh, community uh, board or something along that lines? You know, I I'm so. Yeah. I mean, I, I always appreciated the checks and balances, you know, people want to have a say in, in how things are done within their community. And I think law enforcement should be open to that. I think, you know, there's a lot of, of good that can come from that. And yeah, I, I think in some regard, absolutely. I want to give chemo the last word, but I wanted to say uh, I went to an internal affairs uh, on my case and, and I had to go back again and I, I wanted to complain about this officer and they said, oh, you know what, darn it, he retired yesterday. Uh, his last act was uh, harassing me on Friday and uh, pulling me over illegally out of his jurisdiction, but they said I couldn't complain because he had just retired, boo-hoo. Uh, chemo, you get the last word. Yeah, I was going to say uh, no-knock warrants revolving anything with uh, cannabis need to be eliminated. I've been through a couple of them myself personally. They're traumatic. They usually come before 6 a.m., and uh, they would have shot both my dogs if my daughter and baby mama hadn't been holding them. So, yeah, we need to get rid of it. Literally, I'm shaking, and my, and my uh, heart rate is up waiting to tell my story. So we need to get rid of that shit. Emo, thanks for sharing, man. Appreciate you. And, and no-knock warrants. Yeah. Absolutely. And chemo, let's have a uh, <coughs> de-stress sesh after the show. I'm with you, man. Oh, God. All right. Uh, let's keep moving. Up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is also a superstar at cracking dad jokes. I'm sure you've got some for today's story. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, yeah. So my story is coming from Dan Goldman over to MJ Moment. Uh, young people who use cannabis have better orgasms and sexual function, study says. NSFW warning, if you're near a bunch of prudes or your workplace, uh, workplace frowns upon being an adult and talking about adult things on a weed news show, you got three choices. 
put your headphones on and take me off the speakers, quit your lame ass job and rethink what the fuck you're really doing with life right now, or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and listen to this shit privately later. We're going to be talking about sex and vulgar language will be used in the name of science. Update your urban dictionaries, folks, because the crossfade has a new meaning. This news is coming out of Spain, and we all know that they fuck. Uh, The University of Almeria designed a new study analyzing the effect of potential risky drinking and cannabis use and changes to one's sexual functioning. Scientists found that young people who smoke cannabis and drink alcohol have better orgasms and overall sexual function than their peers who abstain or use less. You heard that right. If you haven't been Having crossfaded sex, chances are you've been doing it wrong. Per the article, existing scientific literature on the impact of drinking and drug use on sexual functioning is contradictory, finding both benefits and harms. So a team of scientific Spanish researchers did the Lord's work and finished the job where previous scholars pulled out. The study's conclusion revealed sexual function in young people uh, who use cannabis and alcohol more frequently is shown to be better than those who use neither. So if your sex life is lacking, drink a little, smoke a little, and cheeks will soon be clapping. They assessed 185 females, 89 males between the ages of 18 and 30 from January to June 2020, which is humanoid mating season. Uh, Subjects were either regular cannabis or alcohol users, non-users, excluding those using opiates, MDMA, or pre-existing conditions like depression and diabetes because that could have a negative impact on sexual performance. The Spanish journal Healthcare said last month, sexual function has improved in Young high-risk cannabis uh, consumers with moderate use of alcohol use resulting in increased desire, arousal, and orgasms. The improvements usually associated with a reduction of uh, anxiety and shame, which facilitates sexual relationships. You're damn right. Cannabis users scored higher than nons on both overall sexual functioning and levels of arousal and orgasm. Interestingly, no differences were found on desire and orgasm between moderate and heavy users and also among men and women. Said the journal, our findings indicate young people in cannabis frequently, uh, using cannabis frequently, regardless of gender, have better overall sexual function. With alcohol, no significant differences were found in either overall sexual function in any of uh, the subscales measured between drinkers and non-drinkers. However, there were significant differences based on levels of alcohol consumed, suggesting dose-dependent outcomes. This settles the age-old debate of whether whiskey dick is really tied to stage fright or the last shot that you just had to take before calling that Uber. Don't take the shot, Chad. You'll regret it, bro. The cannabis results are consistent with studies that we've covered on SOC NewsHour finding THC enhances sex and masturbation, increases sexual desire, and leads to better orgasms. Also, consumers have more sex than abstainers and a higher score on sexual health inventories and serum testosterone levels. That's right, potheads fuck more and they come more. The researchers suggested older studies previously tying erectile dysfunction to heavier alcohol consumers may have been influenced by older ages of the respondents. This study focused on the young and robust. They concluded, since the increased desire arousal and orgasms in young people who are high risk, uh, cannabis users and moderate risk of alcohol use is usually associated with a reduction in anxiety and shame, which facilitates sexual relationships. The study called for future sex education practices to focus on strategies that reduce shame and anxiety to prevent young people from developing potential drug and alcohol dependence issues later on in their lives. Translation, quit shaming the youth out of fucking for fun without drinking and smoking early, and they won't need to drink and smoke later to have fun fucking. There's Rico Lamite reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour and the dopest dad for nearly two years now, because I fuck. Back to you, Susan.
I can't, Rico. It's funny. Some some people joined right in the middle of that. They're probably going, what the heck is going on in here? Uh, yay. That's my comment. So, Rico, if, if you're a, a, a patient or cannabis consumer in New Jersey, based off of this article, would you be considered a New Jizzian? <laughs> oh, my God. I have to take that. We're out of time on this. <laughs> wow. Fucking terrible joke. <laughs> And, and great article, Rico. I'm having breakfast. Uh, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna even entertain that one any further. So thank you so much, Rico, and uh, yeah, happy almost hump day, y'all. Um, and up next, we have Liz Rogan. Liz is a cannabis educator, the brand strategist, and healthcare consultant, and the founder of Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County, and one of our co-producers here. Liz, what do you have for us today? Thanks, Nicole. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Thanks for joining us here at the State of Cannabis News Hour. My story comes from PR Newswire out of Longmont, Colorado. The headline reads, world's first 0% THC, high CBD cultivar enters the U.S. market. Um, so essentially, this story today is uh, a little bit of a press release. Um, so I wanted to cover it because I think it's important, and I'd like to hear what people have to say on this. So Colorado hemp seed genetics company Trilogene Seeds announced this week that it is introducing the world's first hemp cultivar engineered to prevent THC production. This strain is named Pandora, and Trilogene Seeds reports that it has a 17 to 22 percent CBD profile. This was developed by a team of university professors and bioengineering experts over a two-and-a-half-year period using RNA interference, actually called RNAi technology, to silence the genetic pathways that produce THC in the hemp plant, according to the company statement. So how does RNAi work? It actually takes a piece of RNA and it attaches it to, so basically small pieces of the RNA shut down protein translation by binding to the, necess- to the messenger RNA. RNAs that code for these proteins. So they basically take a small piece of this and attach it to it, and it stops producing THC. So you cannot physiologically tell the difference from any other hemp. So if you look at it, you can't tell this. And so this is essentially addressing a pain point of hot hemp. Hot hemp is hemp that's greater than 0.3% THC, and it's a huge issue for hemp producers as they are supposed to destroy crops that are over 0.3% THC. If you look at New Frontier data, they reported last summer that so-called hot hemp meant an average of 10.8% of the crops acreage planted between 2018 and 2020 had to be ditched. So uh, growers with hot hemp do risk losing their crops and even could face uh, charges. New Frontier notes that under the U.S. DEA, uh, most recent interim final rule for hemp producers, um, they are now permitted to use traditional or farming practices such as plowing, tilling, or disking for the disposal of a hot crop. I'm wondering if that really does happen. But regardless, this varietal will also dramatically improve extraction efficiencies to optimize CBD without THC limitations because traditionally in hemp plants, CBD increases in step with THC. So with this null THC cultivar, it means growers and processors will be able to work with much less hemp biomass to produce the same amount of CBD. The company reports that this clone-only varietal of Pandora will be available in the U.S. market this spring with seeds for U.S. and international jurisdictions expected to be available this fall. So I applaud this company personally for trying to solve this pain point and focusing on efficiency. I think it'll be interesting to see how it actually plays out and because you can clone from a clone. Obviously, we know that and from a seed. So uh, 
hemp has many strains. So I'm really curious what the lineage behind this strain is. And this is, is this something that will be used in hemp fiber also? We know that hemp is overall disease resistant, but the greater the concentration and with a single strain, it will definitely be more susceptible to pests and disease. And as a biologist and botanist, I think biodiversity is key to sustainability. We will see if this hype actually all plays out. So this could be a huge game changer for the hemp industry. And I expect to see other companies doing the same. And I'm sure it can be applied to other compounds in the cannabis plant. So I would really love to hear what you guys think about this. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I think that two things. One, proof that Colorado is uh, land of the booth. Uh, and two, um, cannabinoids are environmental responses. Um, and so there is obviously, you know, you can limit things and you can, you can restrict things. Um, but what, what, on what GMO fucking Monsanto planet are we in a place or a thought process to think that completely changing this process, this plant so that it is not capable of doing the thing that naturally it does, which is create certain cannabinoids and, and terpenes and flavonoids in environmental responses so that it protects itself and so that it can exist in, in the environment that it's in, um, to say that it, it's going to be a, a long-term solve. Um, you know, I think that this is a, a good play for somebody who doesn't want to have to throw away, you know, tons and tons of their crop. But I think realistically, Liz, unless this is the conversation of making textiles and materials. I think it's a really bad idea and just furthering the proof of the booth. I just want, I want to say, I really agree with you, Nicole, and that, you know, it, this is really, I, I'm a big believer. And I think most of us are in whole plant medicine. And when you start parsing out cannabinoids and chopping up the plant like that, you're, you're losing the effect. And also who names this shit? I mean, Pandora, I mean, Pandora is say, you might as well name it shit show because that's what Pandora is, right? If you know the, the origin of that word. So I don't know, bad all around. Exactly. And speaking of bad names, it really makes me sad that hot hemp became a bad thing. That's the coolest. I mean, hot hemp. Yay. But no. Thanks for your feedback. You guys have great points, and I agree. This is a plant, and it should be cherished in the way that it grows. What in the Monsanto motherfucking bad idea is this? And I think Pandora, Love. or Pandora's box, it's like, what exactly, like you said, Nicole? Yeah. So dumb. So dumb. Love your craft farmer. Support your craft farmer. All right, we are at the end of the rope for that story. So uh, known in cir certain circles as Kaiser Brose, the cannabis industry's longest continuously running retailer is also a bi-coastal, international, private jet-hopping dealmaker with an affinity for smoking the greatest weed in the world and drinking liberal tears from non-recyclable BPA water bottles. Up next is Jason Beck. What you got for us today, my man? Oh, good morning, Rico. Happy Tuesday. I hope everyone had a fantastic MLK Day yesterday. I know I did. But today, my story comes all the way from Thailand. That's right, where the Thailand government plans to make marijuana legal, scrapping jail terms and fines for possession. Thailand plans to decriminalize marijuana, moving a step closer to clearing its use for, for adult use after becoming the first country in Southeast Asia to legalize medical cannabis and its use in food and cosmetics. The nation's Food and Drug Administration is set to, to uh, propose the removal of cannabis from a list of controlled drugs to the Narcotics Control Board on Wednesday. Once cleared by the board, the proposal will need to be approved by the health minister and, and tune in 
Shavakakul, I totally murdered that name, so I'm sorry, before it becomes effective. The move could allow people full access to cannabis without the fear of lengthy prison sentences and hefty fines, according to the withered Sacrakul, a deputy sec secretary general of the FDA. Current, current possession of cannabis in Thailand could land its owner in jail for up to 15 years as the plant and is a Category 5 narcotic drug currently in Thailand. And to me, I think this is fantastic that Thailand is moving in this way. I know Thailand has always had some of the strictest penalties uh, for cannabis possession out there in, the, in, in Asia. And so this bravo to these guys. And I uh, want to applaud all the efforts of all the actors that, have, that I know have been working diligently on this project. I'm not sure if Wolfgang Varga is in the room, but he's a buddy of mine from Thailand uh, that I asked if he could make himself available to come speak on this. Um, and with that, with that, this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thailand is a beautiful country to visit. I love going there. And now, yay, I can go more often. Uh, Dr. Bong, where are you? Tried to bring you up. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Just wanted to uh, allow me to speak. And uh, yeah, it is um, definitely um, an innovator in the uh, cannabis space. And uh, hopefully the rest of the world can take note and we can get this wonderful plant that's not only medicinal, but also industrial out to the masses. This is your boy, Dr. Bong, representing the Bronx. Peace. The article was Thailand, not Taiwan. I just wanted to make sure. I'm sorry, that... Thailand. Sorry. Forgive okay, me. cool. I just want to make sure everybody is. I just wanted to add, too, I think it's pretty significant because I used to travel there pretty frequently, and I haven't been back in a few years, but I remember when you were in the main uh, waiting area of the airport, there was a huge banner saying anybody caught with drugs, and it wasn't specific, would be executed, would be tried and executed. So, I mean, it's just like for Thailand to do this is super significant. Henry's up from the audience. Did, Henry, did you want to weigh in on Jason's headline? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it? All right. Yeah, Henry. I just I just want to say I can't wait to see the marketing that Thailand's going to put together for different strain names, and I can't wait to smoke some, uh, some, some of the different varietals that they're going to come out to, such as Bangkok Betty. Jesus. And if you're, if you're looking for uh, psilocybin when you're in Thailand, go to Koh Samui and find the rock bar, allegedly. Um, Michelle. party, yeah. Yes, exactly. Michelle, did you want to weigh in? Yes, I traveled for four months in Thailand. It is my second home. I was married there. I cannot wait to have cannabis there. Although I do wonder what all the police in the north are going to be doing because they had quite the setup of going to the, the tourists and being like, hey, if you buy from me, I won't bust you. But if you buy from this guy, I'm going to bust you. So I'd be curious how that's going to work. They really like to bust in Thailand. Yes, they do. There was somebody that was like that, that got like the death sentence uh, not that long ago uh, for for cannabis in Thailand. I want to say it was like less than five years ago. So like I don't know in real life, how angry would you be about your losing your family member over that just for the government to show up and be like, all right, we we changed our mind. Come give us your money. We, we would have at the, don't at the don't they? We, yes. The, so Bangkok Palace. We we would actually go there uh, to the jail and bring them. There were a lot of drug uh, prisoners there, and we would go there and bring them razors and money and cigarettes and things like that. So, yeah, I, I wonder if they're going to let all those people out as well. Don't they cane the shit out of people over there, too? Yep. Only sugar cane, Rico. Wasn't there a movie sugar, about sugar. it? About, like, two women who got Broke caught? Broke Down Palace oh, yeah. or Bank, yes, something like that. 
Yeah, at least the corruption is very apparent, and you know, you know, you know, it's there here in the United States. It's hidden, so and, I don't know. And it's universal worse. over there. It's like too. Mexico. <laughs> Right. It's like Mexico and the golden rule. The one with the gold makes the rules. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Kamo, did you want to get the last word? Yeah, um, I think it's definitely important to, to remember the people that were executed. Uh, you know, it's good to see that Thailand's come a long way and they're being progressive. But in the uh, late 70s, uh, my parents, uh, one of the members of their international smuggling group, went missing for several months and ended up on the cover of Time magazine and were never seen again. So they were probably executed. So it's good to see this uh, progression in Thailand because it's uh, very sad of what's happened in the past. Absolutely. Um, I think we can squeeze one more story in before the relight. So let's keep smoking the news. All right. Well, up next we have Laura DeCaro. Laura is the co-founder and International Cannabis Bar Association and a badass cannamom and the founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project and one of the co-producers here at the show. Laura, what do you have for us today? Ah, hi, everybody. I have... Uh, story out of South Dakota. Um, South Dakota governor wants marijuana activists to pay the legal bill for her lawsuit that blocked legalization. It's by Kyle Yeager, one of our faves at a marijuana moment. So he starts off with the governor of South Dakota wants the marijuana activists behind a 2020 legislation initiative or a legalization initiative, I'm sorry, that her administration overturned with a court challenge to pay the legal fees rather than have taxpayers foot the bill for her I would add unpopular fight to invalidate the voter-approved measure. After South Dakota voters passed the ballot proposal to legalize cannabis for adult use, um, uh, Governor Kristi Noem's administration filed a lawsuit, as we've covered here before on the State of Cannabis News Hour, um, arguing successfully that it violated the single-subject rule of the Constitution of the State of South Dakota for ballot initiatives. Now, South Dakotans for Better Marijuana Laws, or SDBML for short, <laughs> called this a ridiculous request. South Dakota cannabis reform advocates have no obligation to pay for Governor Nome's political crusade to overturn the will of the people. Matthew Schweich, sorry, campaign director for SDBML said that is not easier to say. <laughs> Governor Nome went out of her way to create an unnecessary legal battle over Amendment A and use taxpayer monies to do it, he said. Um, in their own presser, the government, the governor's office said that the drafters should pay the $142,000 in legal fees because of their drafting errors. So just keep that in mind when, when drafting proposed legislation, folks, in South Dakota. She apparently released an ad also um, ahead of last year's election urging residents to vote against this legalization initiative, but that it um, ultimately passed 54 to 46. The article does not mention where her funding came from for her advertisement. She has since professed that she is fully on board to make certain South Dakota continues to implement the most responsible patient-focused medical cannabis program in the country, she says. But she also tried to get the legislature to approve a bill to delay implementation of that program. And she's also sought to limit this patient-focused program to decriminalizing possession of up to one ounce, 
limiting the number of plants patients could cultivate to three, and prohibiting people under the age of 21 from qualifying for any kind of medical cannabis use. So she's speaking out of one side of her face um, and then the other. In my opinion, <laughs> sorry, the state legislature is apparently discussing adult use in South Dakota, but their Senate leader, Lee Schoenbeck, who's a Republican, said this week that it is, quote, highly unlikely that the legislature passes recreational marijuana, he calls it. So on uh, short and sweet story for just before the relight, my name is Laura DeCaro reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd love to know if anybody has any thoughts on South Dakota. Uh, this governor sounds like an idiot. <laughs> that's, that's my opinion. I mean, I'm sorry. Proposals that uh, suggest that people under the age of 21 might not suffer from medical conditions uh, and therefore shouldn't have access to cannabis to help them until they're 21 years of old should be dead on arrival. This person's an idiot. Yeah, she's, she's trash. Maybe she can fly up uh, Herschel Walker to, go, to talk about this shit again. I think sure I think this is this this is just a just a you know a, a trigger news piece to to trigger towards her base. I don't think the reality of this being of this actually coming to fruition has any type of any type of movement whatsoever. I don't think she lives in a rea- in a reality based world when everybody in the whole damn state wants legalized cannabis and she doesn't want to bo- uh, move forward on it. She's she needs to go. She needs to get out of fucking office. They need to vote her the fuck. Well, what's out. the difference between yeah, her and someone like Tate Reeves out of Mississippi? Right. I mean, remember, I mean, you know, these aren't single issue voters, particularly up in South Dakota. So her popularity is um, relatively strong up there, unfortunately, even though she's been wrong on COVID, she's been wrong on cannabis. She's wrong on a lot of issues. I mean, from my perspective, but. Well, if she wants her state to have the best medical program in the country, then she needs to understand that children sometimes need cannabis. I mean, has she heard about the success with epilepsy and autism and all kinds of things? I mean, she's just truly not informed. Right. Yeah. Not not to mention, Susan, the recent articles about COVID uh, making or making it if you consume cannabis, not able to catch COVID. I mean, that just ties into the whole narrative. Is this something we think that like other states or uh, governors will be watching to see if they can do it also? Or I'm, I'm willing to put money that Idaho is 100 percent following this. Sorry, I was I was looking for my fake news sound effect. I couldn't find it. <laughs> you are fake news. I, you are fake news. I need to uh, rearrange my my equipment again. But it's I'm too- Donald Trump, and I support this message. There we go. Yes. All right. Uh, so, anyone else, or should we go ahead and do our relight? All right. Let's go. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Now, he's the founder of deliciously vegan and kosher edible brand Fruit Slabs. But don't be fooled by the signature beard and aviator specs. He's also a cannabis and intellectual property attorney with an all-star client list and experience on deck to sue your ass if you slip up. 
Repping Long Beach Heavy, up next is Brandon Dorsky. What flavor news slabs you got for us today, Brandon? Thanks for having me. Today, my headline comes from MJ Biz Daily. It's Oklahoma might clamp down with new medical cannabis regulations. Oklahoma is signaling that their market may get a little bit less wild, wild west, as they're likely enacting new regulations and restrictions on the state's medical cannabis program due to concerns about a burgeoning illicit marketplace. State Representative Sean Roberts introduced legislation last week that would do each of the following. Change residency requirements for the medical marijuana ownership program from 75% to 100%. Create new penalties for Oklahoma residents that are middlemanning for out-of-state business interests, including potential license suspensions. And require the OMMA, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, to create a new reporting system that would permit citizen whistleblowing on illicit cannabis activity. Roberts claims the changes he is proposing will, quote, stop many illegal operations in our state run by foreign actors, such as criminal Chinese enterprises or cartels who participate in human trafficking and are smuggling their illegal narcotics out of Oklahoma to other states. His statement reeks of a healthy dosage of Asian prejudice, amongst other things, but, uh, He is pointing to the fact that their market is rife with alleged illicit activity. OMMA has steadily been increasing staff to deal with the state's runaway trap market, but without much success. Uh, And lawmakers have until January 20th to introduce potential legislation for the legislative session, which begins on February 7th. But there is not any rumors of any additional cannabis legislation coming down the pike before that legislative session begins. Uh, There was not much juice in this article other than the offensive quote from Representative Sean Roberts, but uh, if you are operating in the Oklahoma market, things are about to change. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. Uh Oh, somebody's watching South Dakota. Yeah, if you're from Oklahoma, if you're in Oklahoma right now, please raise your hands. We'd love to hear from you. Everything ain't okay and okay. Shameless plug, uh, Fruit Slabs did just move some operations to Oklahoma, and we just sent our first batch of THC Fruit Slabs to testing in the state of Oklahoma. So if you're there, look out for us. Um, I definitely did want to mention, too, uh, I reported last week on Oklahoma's new uh, software that they're going to be utilizing uh, that did get pushed back because there were some integration issues. So for everybody that was caught in queue, it will be another week. You were supposed to be able to start submitting on Monday. You will not be able to start submitting until, I believe, the 27th. What protocol are they using? Nicole, that it's not metric. So is originally, it? they were using um, a software. The, the software that they're changing over is actually their licensing software. They were utilizing a software called Complio, which was originally developed as an in-house solution for keeping your licenses and everything organized. That way overextended themselves onto some government contracts. Fell, you know, very close to real life. They shit the bed and. Um, Lost. Here's the reality. If you can't keep Oklahoma as a contract, as far as your organization is concerned, we really need to reassess our fucking lives. Um, so we've <laughs> no got a new program that's coming online that's supposed to be being developed specifically. Um, metric is uh, going into Oklahoma. There was a pushback last year. Remember, they, they there's somebody sued the state saying that we can't have a monopoly. So there was a pushback. But it is still metric as far as the tra- track and trace is concerned. But this specifically in regard to licensing that software that they were using uh, lost their contract about two weeks ago and now right now they are in limbo because the new software had API integration issues of course she knew the whole thing 
I don't have a life, guys. This is literally my, like, everything. I'm like, what's your spirit animal, Nicole? It's a cannabis plant. Nicopedia. That's a good one. Jail Google is still my favorite. (laughs) Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Well, if we don't have any more comments on that headline, um, up next, we have Eric Hislereta. Eric is a freedom-fighting farmer's friend and an award-winning journalist, brand-building consultant, and also a ninja... All right. Content Ninja. I love it. What do you have for us today, Eric? Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me up. Um, Hey, everybody. Great to be here today. My headline is from the Beard Brothers Farms blog, and it's 2022 will be the year of the antigen. So this needs no intro. I'm going to jump right in, quoting, last year we wrote that 2021 will be the year of the terpene, and well, we feel we nailed that one, as more educated cannabis consumers caught on to the fact that buying weed strictly by the THC percentage is goofy. You need some flavor if you want effects. You read the headline, we are ready to make another bold prediction that 2022 will be the year of the entheogen. So what the fuck is an entheogen? An entheogen is a psychedelic, hallucinogenic, and or psychoactive substance, typically plant or fungus-based, but also derived from certain animals and insects, known to induce profound changes in perception, including changes in the experience of time or space, as well as alterations in moods, thoughts, and other mental states when ingested or consumed. The depth and impact of these changes are dose-dependent and will affect different people in different ways, particularly when it comes to those mental states. Perhaps the most common and popular uh, antheogen is psilocybin, derived most commonly from specific types of mushrooms, either by extraction or digestion. Uh, After getting into some of his personal experience, Uh, experiences, the writer forecasts, what we can expect to see is an increase in number of and coverage of clinical trials and peer-reviewed studies of various antigens. We can expect to see more large municipalities and even perhaps entire states follow the lead of Denver, Santa Cruz, and Oregon in decriminalizing the personal possession and use of certain antigens. And we can expect to see a deepening interest in the psychedelic space by culture vultures, venture capitalists, and a wide range of villains with all the wrong intentions. The article continues with some paragraphs about all the studies currently underway that are showing promise treating nearly a dozen ailments from Alzheimer's to dramatic brain injuries. But for the sake of time, I'm going to skip down to a section I think doesn't get enough coverage. Uh, It starts here by quoting another study. Uh, Quoting, nationwide, a University of Connecticut analysis over a 25-year period found that only 2.5% of participants in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy studies were black, 2.1% were Latino, and 1.8% were Asian. Most tragically ironic, only 4.6% were indigenous, the descendants of the psychedelic first wave that introduced the world to using plant-based psychoactive substances to explore altered states of consciousness. At the other end of the spectrum, Uh, It says, as you read this, well-funded corporations are working hard and spending a lot of money to lock in their air quotes intellectual property rights on substances that have been freely and safely used for millennia. This gift, still very much a mystery, is already being traded on the NASDAQ like wheat or corn. Uh, But I promise this article is not a total downer, and it ends with a final section entitled, There is Still Hope for Entheogens, and as part of it, calls out a couple of trailblazing organizations. Uh, quoting, black-owned Oakland Hyphae is not only holding it down with in-person conferences and events like their ongoing psilocybin cup, but they help to change the game by offering third-party lab testing on the entries to the contest, something we had never seen before. Anyone who witnessed how much legitimacy <clears throat> cannabis gained once it started getting tested 
knows how important this step is with psilocybin. Another one to watch is Veterans Walk and Talk. For years, founder Colin Wells has crafted a safe space for his fellow military veterans to convene and walk and talk. Aided by plant medicines and entheogens, the opportunity that VWAT provides for companionship, empathy, and advice is at the very root or mycelium of healing. So I'm feeling really lifted by that outro, and that's what I've got uh, for today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you for having me up. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Dr. Sue Sicily down in uh, Tempe, Arizona, who's doing a lot of good research on that. Uh, Dr. Sue's amazing all over the place. Eric, I was curious, did it say why the racial and ethnic disparities in terms of people who were participating in the study? Was there any indicator? Did they dig into that? Um, You know, they really didn't. But, you know, the illusion was that, you know, it's sort of the typical thing we see with law enforcement that, again, it's sort of like, um, you know, overreaching in law enforcement and undercounting or or really not looking at those communities at all, just kind of ignoring it, just... It's just sort of like left to the side. It's derived from uh, animals too. Does it, does it grow on animal feces? Well, yeah. Famously, the best place to look for uh, some some species of mushrooms is cow shit, especially in places like Hawaii. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, California too. Sexy. Don't let that scare you off, though. Oh, uh, never. Now, up next. He used to chase down suspects before reading their Miranda rights. Now he chases down the spiciest stories in Mary Jane news. That's right. He's a former cop and cannabis security consultant at CC Security Solutions, but also a fellow dope dad. Up next is Chris Eggers. What you got for us this morning, my man? Hello, fellow dope dad. They were uh, they were alleged suspects. And my article today comes out of Napa Valley. Napa Valley City Council is set to vote allowing retail cannabis sales in Napa. An ordinance amendment allowing adult use retail cannabis sales in Napa is headed toward the final step of the Napa City Council approval on Tuesday evening. California legalized adult use cannabis in 2016. 50% of the voters and 61% of voters in Napa County voted to approve Proposition 64. Local cannabis retailers, though, say opening adult use sales will boost business and increase city tax revenue. Amy Henry, an owner of Napa Cannabis Collective, says allowing adult use sales will essentially allow our business to become more sustainable. She says, in Napa, there really hasn't been high demand for medical use for us uh, to have a sustainable business that's uh, breaking even much less reaching profitability. She added that, though, getting a medical recommendation for cannabis now takes only about 15 minutes. Uh, The need for recommendations still serves as a barrier for many people. Uh, One reason that the recommendation... Actually, let me skip forward because uh, Ricardo Antoli, president of the Herbal Collective Cannabis Dispensary, uh, said Napa's local economy is highly dependent on tourism. In uh, in that spirit, they focus on a high-end luxury market. He said, and he expects to see about 30 to 40% more business if the adult use amendment is approved. This article also touches on the fact that some of uh, retailers in Napa believe that a lot of the sales are going to Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Vallejo. Uh, Henry said that from our perspective, they're not trying to shut anybody out. They're trying to, uh, to or not trying to prevent any other businesses from opening or getting their piece of the pie, but they just want to make sure that their business uh is going to be able to be sustainable. Most of the council members and planning commissions have not supported the proposed uh, moratorium, and no action, in, uh, and no action to include it has passed. The uh, amendment to the ordinance was in the works for much of last year. We'll see how this shakes out. Looks like they're going to vote it on today, um, and they will allow adult use sales to go into effect 30 days following the Napa City Council approval. So this is something I'm going to watch closely. 
Um, we'll see how this affects the vineyards and the wine tasting and tourism in Napa Valley. But uh, that's my article today. Thank you for allowing me to share it. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Chris, it's shocking that Napa is taking so long, and it's not shocking that zero of the council members want to uh, grandfather in the folks that are already doing it there. Uh, maybe somebody's nephew wants a license. I don't know. Corruption much? Very interesting. Corruption and cannabis? Get out of here. And also, you know, when, you're t- when you're talking about Napa, you know, it's just wine politics. You know, the, the vineyard owners and, and the industry there is so powerful that that's just another factor you always have to consider in Napa and Sonoma. But it's good for tourism, and they're all about tourism. And now everyone can go have wine and cannabis and really good sex. Since Gavin Newsom has a restaurant in the area, has he came out for or against this as a private citizen? Good question. Is Great he allowed as a private citizen? Isn't like every opinion that he has once you're government like that, like kind of governmental? He can have an opinion as a business owner in, in that area separate from the gubernatorial position. But then things get all cut fucking weird in regards to, you know, what kind of liabilities he has on that and whether or not he has to recluse himself on shit. You can't govern his mental. Plus, he's never tried it. Remember, he hates it, but he's never tried it. I don't buy that. That's what he said to he Univision. Like he said half the time. he's never tried it, but he hates it. How do you I don't, do that? I, I, I don't, I don't buy that. I, th- I call fake news. I mean, my no, it's Google it. It, it. He said it to Univision after the debate. I mean, it's like it's like my three-year-old grandson that says, oh, I don't like that. It's like, but you haven't no, ever tried Susan, it. Susan, I believe you. I'm calling out fake news on his statement. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for that headline, Chris, and something that we will continue to follow. Um, and up next, we have Adelia Carrillo. We missed you, Adelia. Uh, Adelia is the CMO of Event High and the advisor of the International Cannabis Business Women's Association. Adelia, what do you have for us today? Good morning. I missed you guys, too. Um, okay, today's topic or article, City Warning, Private Marijuana Lounges Must Close or Face Enforcement. This article was written by Thomas Mitchell of Westward. So on January 13th, um, owner Dwayne Benjamin of Tetra 9 went to work expecting to operate Tetra 9, which is a private cannabis club in the city of Denver. However, the, Den- the Denver Department of Excise and Licenses sent out a memo to cannabis business owners and stakeholders later that day warning that any business allowing cannabis consumption without a license to do so could be subject to enforcement action. Um, The letter also states that a law was passed by Denver City Council last April, which created a new marijuana hospitality program for Denver. This also banned unlicensed consumption venues, according to excise and licenses. Um, In the memo, it was stating that it shall be unlawful for any person, whether or not they are licensed in another jurisdiction, to engage in any form of business or commerce involving marijuana within the city without a valid local license or permit, authorizing that business and corresponding state license or permit uh, issued by the Colorado Marijuana Code. Um, so private and membership membership-based businesses that were previously operating aren't exempt from these rules, the memo stated. Um, A few other things to know is that Denver opted into these new rules nearly nine months ago, uh, but this is the first warning that they have sent out to any of these unlicensed marijuana clubs. Um, 
Benjamin did receive a license from the State Marijuana Enforcement Division for the hospitality license in December. However, he's still awaiting a public hearing for city approval. And in Denver, a marijuana lounge that allows people inside based on monthly and short-term memberships, uh, like Tetra 9, has actually been operating since 2018. Um, He is one of the three active applications so far for this hospitality license. and is the only one filed by, but it, but he's actually the only one filed by a business that is actively in business. Um, he also will have to stay closed now ever since, you know, they resent this memo. And unfortunately this means he's going to have a while to wait. Once the license is processed, there's still a 30 to 45 day period for a public hearing before he can even move forward. So he's not expecting to be officially licensed or back open until April, April 20th. Um, so those, those are just some things to note. And this is Adelia and I'm reporting for the state of cannabis news hour. Adelia, uh, we were talking yesterday about how, uh, bud tenders are, uh, it, it's not really working and how the retail model really isn't working. And last night I watched the tender bar directed by George Clooney and uh, Ben Affleck stars in it. It's a really great movie that he's got a bar. It's called Dickens. Um, he's got all kinds of books in there because he loves books. And and the people in the, that come to the bar, the regulars, they love discussing high level stuff. And it just made me realize that is is the model right there mm-hmm. where there is a really amazing bartender. We need to have one of these in every neighborhood, a really amazing bartender that makes a decent wage that can guide people through the experience. And it, that that bar, unfortunately, they all drank a lot uh, because they like to be together. They like to socialize. They like to have somewhere to go and be feel at home. And that's the model right there. Well, one of the other things too, I was reading more into this outside of this article is that even the hotels are looking at it. So there's a haunted hotel in Denver, and they are actually one of the third licenses that actually applied for this. So this will be interesting to see what other businesses move forward in this kind of model. Haunted, haunted hotel, yes, bring it. I've been I've been trying <laughs> to get the the Queen Mary to be the Queen Mary Jane. It's the, one of the most haunted places in America. Yes, let's do <laughs> third it. Place in the world, I think actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And you're only allowed to smoke ghost OG. I was real disappointed walking around on the Queen Mary and I didn't see no fucking ghosts. Well, Rico, I had more than one person tell me that they did see ghosts there. So we didn't get lucky, but they're there. You sure sure it just wasn't like clouds of smoke? (laughs) Well, there was plenty of that. And we did get in trouble. Yes, we did. Sorry, that might have been me. Has anyone tried that new strain, Casper? Is that a, is that a derivative of uh, White Widow? Uh, it's 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 his uh, male cousin. Let's let's move on, y'all. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. So, up next, this Florida-based entrepreneurial bouse runs the ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis. She's also, also the founder CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana, and coming to the stage and bringing us home is Roz McCarthy. I'm bringing you home. I'm back, guys. I'm back. I've been sick with COVID for almost four weeks. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, my God. All right, listen, let's go. First cannabis retail and manufacturing licenses issued. And this is for the state of New Mexico. So 
Santa Fe, the Cannabis Control Division of the Regulation and Licensing, Licensing Department Wednesday announced that they had issued the first cannabis retail and manufacturing licenses under the Cannabis Regulation Act, creating jobs and bringing the state another step closer to the successful launch of an adult-use cannabis sales by April 1st. Um, with each day, New Mexico's adult-use cannabis industry is growing, um, Cannabis Con Control Division Director Kristen Thomason said, bringing manufacturers and retailers online is an important milestone that allows more businesses, entrepreneurs, and communities to maximize the economic opportunities adult-use cannabis sales will provide. These three licenses alone a plan to hire nearly 130 full and part-time workers. The first retail licenses went to a pair of Albuquerque-based businesses, Enchanted Botanicals and Dolce uh, Cannabis. Enchanted Botanicals, owned and founded by two brothers from Albuquerque, plans two locations in the city, one in Knob Hill and one in San Mateo, and one in Minal. They also expect to engage 20 construction workers as they set up shop and plan to ultimately have 60 employees at a total of seven locations. Dolce Cannabis will be become will be welcoming customers to their Carlisle Boulevard location when sales begin. Dolce will start with six new hires, with more possible as the business grows. Manufacturing business Vana, based in Clovis, is ready to get to work. The minority woman-owned business, which also has production capacity and plans retail locations, says it is committed to lifting up rural communities and providing quality products around the state. Vana is planning for 40 employees between its manufacturing facility and a planned retail lo location. Through an open and transparent process, the CCD has been working since its creation June 29th to create regulations for the new cannabis industry. Producer rules were finalized first, ahead of a September 1st statutory deadline. Rules for other sectors, including retail and manufacturing, were adopted by the January 1st statutory deadline. The adult-use cannabis industry is expected to bring in $300 million in sales each year, create 11,000 jobs, and generate $50 million in state revenue. Let's just make sure you guys understand this. The state of New, uh, of New Mexico, if you're interested in applying, you can go to the ccd.ribstatenewmexico.us. Um, basically, they've issued 14 um, producer license. Um, there's no cap on their licenses. I think Illinois could take a playbook from New Mexico. So kudos to New Mexico. Welcome to the adult use um, um, regulated market. Um, the way that you're doing it, making it open for anyone that applies, that meets the criteria. We like it. I like it. And I'm Roz McCarthy signing off for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I uh, would love to hear your feedback. Where's the feedback? Where's the feedback? You guys don't think New Mexico is like, I, trust me, New Mexico may become the next Oklahoma, right? Yeah, uh, we don't need yeah, any more Oklahoma. I, I love it. I think it's just a testament to how few people are actually in New Mexico to say it's only going to create 11,000 jobs. Yeah. I love the bells in the background. Thank you for bringing it home, Roz McCarthy. We're so glad you're that you're... We're so glad you're better. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show. Thank you to our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. And thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country 
country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. Roz, thank you so much for making sure that the S was not silenced in Illinois. You've been tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour. Love it. Actively move policy forward. Glad you're better. Illinois is still. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye.